A reading from the book of Hosea. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the book of Romans. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written. I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He had not weakened in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do as he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for creating us, for calling us to yourself. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for how you speak to us. Pray you give us open ears um, uh, to hear from you. Give us humble hearts to learn from you, we ask. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. I'm sure uh, many of you are familiar uh, with the movie Saving Private Ryan. Um, as I was thinking about that movie this week, I was like, wow, it's kind of an old movie now. Like, it's almost like at the classics um, uh, level. Um, but again, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it tells the story of a um, group of soldiers uh, in World War II who are given the task um, to um, find Private Ryan, Private James um, Ryan, and to um, basically extricate him um, out of combat to get him safe. Um, they are given this task because uh, his three brothers have all been killed in the war, um, and so the military wants to get him out so that his mother and father are spared losing all of their children um, to, the, to the war, to World War II. Um, I think I'm giving a bit of a spoiler alert, but it's in the title of the movie, Private Ryan is Saved. Um, and so um, they save Private Ryan, um, uh, but his um, saving, his rescue, comes um, at the cost of much sacrifice, um, of lives being lost, including the life of the captain of this group of soldiers. Um, and um, the captain, played uh, by Tom Hanks, is able to speak to Private Ryan right as he is dying. And he says these words. Does anyone remember? What the captain says to Ryan, earn this, earn it. All right, it's a choking, a great crying moment um, in a movie. Earn this. Um, the final scene of the movie is James Ryan, um, much older, decades later with children and grandchildren, standing before the grave of um, the captain um, and reflecting on his life, reflecting on those final words, earn this. And he's, he's basically asking the question, have I done enough? Now, at the core of our faith, right, the core of our belief as Christians is that Christ's death on the cross for our salvation is something that cannot be earned, right? The, the message of the gospel is not, God did this for you, now earn it. It's God did this for you, receive it, right? As a matter of fact, you can't earn it. And yet I would suggest, as clear as the scriptures are, and we will see that again um, today um, in our scriptures I still think oftentimes we as Christians find ourselves a little bit in the same mindset that James Ryan is at the end of that movie, where we are asking the question, have I done enough? That there's a heaviness often. Many of us, I feel, I believe, as we look at our lives in Christ, as we look at our spiritual lives, as we look at our faith, our relationship with God, and we feel like, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. Kirk Thompson's a Christian psychiatrist, a writer. He has a book called Anatomy of the Soul, a wonderful book. And he talks about meeting with different clients, um, Christian clients, and speaking with them and talking with them. And he says one of his favorite questions to ask um, in counseling sessions is he asks them, what do you feel God feeling when you are in his presence? It's such an interesting question. I'll repeat it again. What do you feel God feeling when you are in his presence? He wants people to think about what does God feel about you? What do you sense that God is feeling when you're in his presence? And he says, typically, these are the type of answers he gets. These are some of the specific answers he's been given. He thinks I need to pray more. He isn't happy with me. He's disappointed with me because I haven't done enough to please him. 
He's angry with me because I'm so ungrateful. And he compares, again, that sense of, I haven't done enough, right? When he's in my presence, when I'm in his presence, he's thinking, I haven't done enough. With the scriptures that speak of the love of God and the way God celebrates over us. In particular, he focuses on Zephaniah chapter 3, right? A a reading, actually, that's um, in our Easter vigil. It's usually the final Old Testament reading of our Easter vigil that talks about God delighting over his people. It says he will delight in you, he will rejoice over you with singing. And so Dr. Thompson actually invites people to reflect on God singing over them. But yet, again, as scripture is very clear of God's love for us, his celebration over us, I do think many of us feel like, have I done enough? But that's a question. And so I want to consider that question, have I done enough in light of what our passage today teaches us about faith? We're in the book of Romans through the summer. As Pete said last week, we decided let's take a light, easy um, teaching for the, the summer um, book of Romans, right? <laughs> it's, uh, there's lots of, um, uh, not complicated, but I want to say there's kind of things you work through as the book of Romans. But again, it's so beautiful um, and, um, and powerful. And again, what does this passage teach us about faith? What do we do with that as we consider that question? Have I done enough? All right, so the first thing um, that we can uh, be very clear on, that teaches us we are made righteous through faith. We are made righteous, right? We receive righteousness from God through faith. And if that sounds familiar, if you were here last week, yes, that is <laughs> at the core of Pete's teaching last week from Romans 3. We are, again in it, we are in it again in Romans 4, right? Which is basically the Lord is saying, you really need to hear this, right? This is something we need to learn, right? When we experience repetition, right? It's because, again, God is saying, I want you to understand this, right? This is not just, well, Paul's really into this, right? No, right? This is important for us to take to heart. We are made righteous through faith. And so, verse 1, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Wow, first sentence, like, there's a lot there. So, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. Right, that's speaking of the fact that God called Abraham, right, um, to himself, right? Abraham was sort of, you know, living in the land of Ur, and God called him to follow him, to leave his family, and to follow him. And then God made a promise. He actually made a number of promises to Abraham. And one of those promises was, all of the world will be blessed through you. An incredible promise, right? Through your offspring, all of the world will be blessed, right? That's what it means. He would be heir of the world, right? There is a blessing that is to come through you to all the world, right? But it says, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. What does that mean? Well, we get clearer, actually, as you go down to um, uh, verse uh, 22, right? This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. In the first part of Romans 4, right, uh, Paul really emphasizes this, and we see it again here, right, that in um, Genesis 15, right, when um, there's a moment where um, God basically calls Abraham to go outside and look at all the stars, right? He says, look at all the stars, number them if you can, which of course you can't, and he says, so shall your offspring be. I'm going to create a family through you that will be greater than the stars in heaven. And this is an amazing promise uh, for God to make. It's an amazing promise for God to make to anyone, but especially to Abraham, who is old at that point. He and Sarah, his wife, have never been able to have children. His, his wife, Sarah, is way beyond childbearing age. And yet he's saying, you will have uh, uh, this heritage, right? You will have a child, and that child will have a child, and eventually right, your, your descendants, right, will outnumber the stars. And we are told that Abraham is given that incredible promise, a very hard promise to believe, and that he believed it, 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. So through believing that, through receiving that promise, he was made righteous. Right? It's really a, an amazing um, truth, right? And so, um, again, stay in 20, um, 22 there. This is why it was his faith that was counted him as righteousness, right? He trusted in the Lord. He believed the promises. He, he put his faith in God. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, right? As, you know, um, at times, you know, the, the work it takes to sort of analyze Romans and to understand the arguments, right? There are these moments that are just so clear, right? And praise God. I mean, it's just so clear. This is not just written for Abraham. This is not just about Abraham. It's not just, well, Abraham believed in his credit to him righteousness. Paul wants us to be very clear. When you believe, it's credited to you as righteousness, right? You are made righteous through your faith in God. He makes you righteous, right? As you believe and as you um, receive that. And so Paul can say he's the father of us all. And keep in mind, right, the book of Romans was, you know, the, the letter was written, was read by both Jewish um, believers in Christ and uh, non-Jewish Gentiles believers in Christ. And we can imagine, right, the, the Jewish people reading this and saying, hold on a second, father of us all? No, he's the father of the Jewish people, right? It's, he's our father, right? We are his descendants, not father of us all. But Paul brought it up with scripture, right? He's like, he's like, look, it's right there in Genesis. It is written in Genesis 17. You see that the, the top of page seven. I have made you the father of many nations. You can also translate nations as Gentiles, right? So right from the beginning, Abraham was told, you will actually be the father of many nations, not just of this one nation of the Jewish people of Israel, of many nations, right? That's, again, the promise. And so it's very important, right, to Paul that they understand, look, this righteousness coming through faith, I, I'm not making this up. This is not new. We actually see this from the very beginning. And that's really important for us to hear as well. I think sometimes, right, we know all of Scripture is the Word of God. But sometimes I think we can fall a little bit into a mindset. It's like, well, in the New Testament, it's about faith. In the Old Testament, well, it's about, you know, obedience. It's about the law, right? And so we don't get the good news until we get to the New Testament. Again, I, I hope we don't actually say that, but I think sometimes that's our thinking. You know, we get to the, the good stuff, the, the righteousness through faith. And again, Paul's making it clear to them and to us, and the Lord's making it clear to us, no, this has always been the case, right? Yes, Abraham was called by God, right, um, to be the father of a nation, and this nation was set apart, right? They were called, the males in this nation were called, were required to be circumcised. That begins with Abraham, right? A little bit um, later. And that circumcision is a sign of the covenant, a sign that they are people set apart. And these people are given the law, right? A law to follow. They are settled in a land, right? And they are called to be priests to the other nations. All that is very important, that calling, and the way that God worked through the nation of Israel, the way he basically teaches the world the nation of Israel, right? And we know out of the nation of Israel will come the Messiah, will come Jesus. But before, again, any of that, we have Abraham being called, being given a promise, believing that promise, and being credited, being made righteous through faith, right? That's the first thing. And that's the first thing for us. And so, again, we are made righteous through faith, through belief. So when we ask that question, have I done enough? The answer is actually no. You haven't done enough. I mean, Jesus said, I came to call sinners, not the righteous. If your answer to that question, am I righteous enough? Have I, have I in my own strength, in my own power, achieved righteousness? Again, the answer is actually no. 
If you believe that, then you're actually refusing the good news. That's what Jesus means when he says, I've come to call sinners, right? He's not saying, I don't want you to be righteous. He's saying the first step is to recognize I need a righteousness that comes from beyond myself, right? I need to be made righteous. And so that's actually freeing. Maybe that seems kind of like, wait a second, you're saying the answer is no? I thought this was supposed to be good news. It is actually good news. People say, no, I haven't done enough. That's actually the good news of the gospel is the Lord knows I haven't done enough. He knows I could not make myself righteous, and he has made me righteous. And all I need to do is receive that. I'm through faith. Right? Having said that, though, let's be clear. Second point, faith is not a work. Right? And what do I mean by a work? Well, again, if you read um, the first part of Romans 4, and obviously they're very connected, it says this. It says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, right? I mean, you work, and then you get paid for your work, hopefully, right? And so that's something you've earned. And he's saying, um, that's not what happened with Abraham. He was not justified by what he did. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So again, the faith, the belief, um, is what um, leads to being made righteous, I think sometimes, actually, we can affirm this, and yet we can still think about faith as a work, right? So again, that question, have I done enough? And maybe, has, have I done enough in my faith, right? Have I earned, right? It's like, so almost faith kind of substitutes. Like we say, well, I know that it's not my good deeds um, that save me. I know it's not, um, you know, um, whatever we want to fill in. Reading the Bible every day, like that's not what saves me. Praying um, uh, isn't what um, saves me. I don't earn my salvation through those things. And yet we can kind of fall into the mindset that faith is sort of something we have to do, that it's um, a work, as opposed to, again, um, as Pete spoke about from Romans 3 so clearly, um, grace is a gift, right? It's a gift that we receive. It's a free gift that is given to us, right? A costly gift and that Christ paid for through his death and resurrection, but a free gift for us to receive. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking about um, this cross um, that I um, uh, wear many Sundays. I was actually talking to someone um, last week about it. So... My wife, Molly, um, gave me this cross. She actually had it uh, made um, by someone she knew um, uh, when I was ordained. All right, so this is a gift. All right, but let's say I say, well, this was given to me when I was ordained. So really, in a sense, I kind of earned it, right? Because, you know, I was the one who was ordained, and then I was given this. Right, now, there'd be multiple problems with that. Okay, first of all, it goes against my theology of calling, not just ordained and calling, but any calling, right? I believe calling is a gift. I think that's in, in Scripture, right? We're called, God calls us. He calls us to be, you know, moms and dads. He calls us to be husbands. He calls us to be lawyers and various things, right, that different people are called to, right? And so, again, I would say calling is actually a gift. But more problematic than that, or maybe equally problematic, is if I said that, right, like, I kind of earned that, what would I be saying to Molly, like, this it really isn't a gift, right? I mean, that would be so unfair, wouldn't it? It's like she gave me this gift out of love, right? Out of celebration, right, for this calling, right? Out of actually, you know, our relationship. And it, it came as a gift of love. And if I said, well, maybe it's mostly a gift, but it's a little bit, I earned it, that would cheapen the gift, wouldn't it? Now, if that's true for a gift from my wife, how much more a gift given to us by God? As we'll hear next week um, as we continue in Romans. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our sin, dead in our trespasses, we were given this gift. I look at um, verse um, 17. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence 
the things that do not exist. Right, this is the Lord. The Lord gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. There's double meaning um, there, kind of triple meaning, right? In one sense, of course, I was speaking of um, God gave Abraham and Sarah a child. He gave them Isaac. They were not able to have a child, but he gave them new life um, in Isaac. He called into existence this child, basically, and gave that to them, even though as uh, Paul says, kind of mean. Um, since he was about 100 years old, he was as good as dead, right? It's kind of like, man, come on. Uh, right? But he's saying, you know, he was beyond the usual childbearing ages, and certainly Sarah was as well, right? But the Lord gave life. But of course, also in this, we're reminded the Lord is the one who gives life to us, right? When we are dead in our sins, he gives life. He brings into existence, right, new life that previously did not exist. Right, this is the Lord who spoke right at the very beginning of the scriptures. Um, uh, creation and creation happened. Out of nothing, God created. And that is the same God who gives us this gift. So again, faith is in earning this gift. Faith is receiving from the only one who, the only one who could give the gift. And so, again, to be clear, right, when we're saying, you know, have I done enough? Again, the answer is no. Um, you know, you, you haven't done enough to make yourself righteous. Um, but this is a gift that you receive, right? You don't earn it, you receive it. That's what we're called to. And that's not a work, that's not something of earning, that's just a response to God. God who is always the initiator. God who always right, goes first, and we receive from him. Right? That uh, is what faith looks like, um, that um, receiving. It's not so much about, again, what we've done, it's what God has done on our part. But then thirdly, we can affirm that our faith does grow stronger as we receive, as we experience God's faithfulness, right? Um, he builds up our faith. Because again, we may say, well, if the answer to the question, have I done enough, is no, well then, do we do anything, right? I mean, if that's the case, right, and we get into, again, a question that will come up later in Romans, well, we might as well just keep on sinning, right, if it doesn't matter. Right, but the answer Paul gives is like, of course not. That makes no sense. If you've put your trust, if you've put your faith, if you received from the Lord, then how can you feel okay about continuing to sin? He's made you righteous. Now live into that righteousness. But again, it's about receiving. And what we receive, again, is righteousness, and we receive a growing in faith. The Lord wants us to continue um, to grow. And so um, look at uh, um, verses uh, 20, or, or actually 19 and 20. So, um, uh, Paul says, he did not weaken in faith, talking about um, Abraham, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Now, we may hear that, and again, if you're familiar with the story of Abraham, maybe you're saying, well, yeah, but kinda. I mean, like, he actually struggled. Um, I mean, Abraham, um, at times, did seem to, to waver, right? He did, at times, doubt. Right, again, in um, Genesis 19, you have um, that moment, you know, where, again, um, uh, or actually a different moment, uh, but another moment where uh, the Lord makes a covenant with Abraham, and Abraham believes and trusts that covenant and receives from the Lord, listens to the voice of the Lord. But that's immediately followed by Genesis 20, where Sarah comes to Abraham and says, look, we haven't had a child. We don't have an heir. How about you have a child with my servant, with Hagar? Right? We'll, we'll make it work. Right? We'll, we'll create an error right? our way. And the scriptures tell us Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. Now, in general, it's good to listen to the voice of your wife, husbands, and so I'm not denying that. But that moment is clearly telling us he shouldn't have been listening to the voice of his wife 
Because the Lord had told him something different. Remember, it's very clear. He did not turn to the Lord and say, Lord, is this your plan? Is this how you'll provide a child um, for Sarah and I? He took things into his own hand. It was actually a moment, I think we can say, where he wasn't trusting in the Lord. He wasn't seeking the Lord. Right? And there are other moments like that in the life of Abraham, right? And actually, Genesis or Romans 4 earlier also um, references King David. And we know King David had a lot of moments where he did not follow the Lord, where he sinned against the Lord. His sin caused incredible damage. And yet David is still called a man after God's own heart, right? And Abraham, again, had moments where, you know, he, he um, didn't, you know, obey the Lord, where he needed to repent. And yet he continued to turn back to the Lord. He, too, is a man after God's own heart. I like what Leon Morris, a Bible commentator, says. He says, again, in these verses, Paul is referring to the settle, settled attitude that endured all this. The unbelief was momentary, the faith constant. And again, I think that's the picture we're getting. Yeah, Abraham at times turned away, Abraham at times doubted, but he continued to turn back to the Lord. And actually what we see in the trajectory of Abraham's life is a growing faith, that the Lord grew as Abraham continued to receive in faith. As we are in that place of receiving, of believing, of trusting in the Lord, the Lord grows our faith. He wants to build us up as we remain in that place. He grew Abraham strong. So again, the end of verse 20, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. As he saw the faithfulness of God, as he celebrated the faithfulness of God, his faith grew. And for us too, right? As we are in that place of receiving from the Lord as living in, he has made me righteous <laughs> in a way that I, I mean, I never could have made myself righteous. He has made me righteous as I continue to receive from him. I'll be grow, I will grow, right, in faith. My faith uh, will grow. And again, that happens, actually one of the key ways, I believe this happens, is when we repent, when we see the ways that we haven't honored the Lord and we turn to him again. That's one of the ways he grows our faith because we see his faithfulness to continue to build us up and forgive us, right? When we are repenting, we're not denying that we have been made righteous through faith. We're acknowledging we are in a relationship with the Lord and we've turned away from him and we need his forgiveness and we need his help. So, again, we receive of this faith, um, and the Lord grows us in this faith. So instead of asking the question, have I done enough, right, we can ask the question, Lord, what would you have for me, right? I know that I've been made righteous only through faith in you, so what do you have, right? What, what is it that you're calling me to? Instead of, again, that heaviness of I haven't done enough, I haven't done enough, is what is it, Lord? What do you, what do you want from me? When my um, children were younger, and actually sometimes, um, still now, um, as my children are older, they would often ask the question in the morning, what are we doing today, right? What, what's going on today? And sometimes that would be a fun question to hear, oh, we got something fun today. Sometimes the, question, the answer would be, we're doing chores today. Or sometimes the answer would be, well, I was planning to read a book all day. I don't know what you're doing, um, but I have my uh, plans, right? But I tried to embrace that mentality. Many times I would think, this is the way I want to respond to my father. Right, what are we doing today, Lord? There was such expectancy. Right? I'm expecting you to be a good dad, that you have something for me today. That's actually the expectancy we can go to our Lord, because he is a good father. He's made us righteous. Right? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have received grace. And so we can ask, ask expectantly, Lord, what do you have for me? Knowing the Lord has good things for us. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray for that expectancy that is right to have in you, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of righteousness that comes through you. We thank you for the freedom that we have in you. And Lord, I would just pray for any today 
are feeling a sense of condemnation, who are feeling a sense of heaviness. Lord, we know at times you call us to, to challenging things. You at times stretch us. But Lord, may we always um, be clear that you are for us, that you are the one who has um, uh, um, uh, set us free. So I pray, Lord, for your spirit to be bringing that truth to each one of us in new ways. And we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Turn with me to page 8 in your bulletin. We'll confess our faith using the Nicene Creed.